early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stopped. He stooped down. And with his finger, wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast the stone. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the middle of the crowd. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. Wonder what happened to that woman. Wonder what happened to her. There's no way to prove it, no way to be certain. But I just wonder if there's not a connection between this woman in John chapter 8 and this woman that I mentioned to you last week to read the story of out of Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, to come over to his place for supper. 
And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Remember, that's how they would do it back in those days. They didn't have chairs. They just had benches or couches at the edge of a table, and they would lean on one elbow and eat off the table, and their feet would be out away from the table. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Translated, that is to say, an immoral woman. And when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this Jesus were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, he would know that she is a sinner. I just love the way Jesus handles these kind of situations. He is already in charge of the moment. He's never caught off guard. Sometimes he's regarded as rude and in your face, but he's always spot on with truth and he's always spot on with God's heart of mercy for people. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, that's the Pharisee who invited him over for supper, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. And Jesus continues. He loves to make up stories to illustrate points. He's just baiting this guy, just baiting him right in, and the guy doesn't even really have a clue what's fixing to happen. A certain moneylender had two debtors, Jesus said. One owed 500 denarii, 500 days' labors, and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he, the moneylender, graciously forgave them both. Graciously forgave, the word meaning forgave them as a gift, not as payback, not as anything due, but just out of the goodness of his heart, graciously gave them the gift of releasing them both from what they owed. Then Jesus continued, which of them, therefore, will love him more? Which of these two debtors 
who have now just been forgiven of their debt are going to love the one they owed the money to who has forgiven them the money are going to love him the most. Which one will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon as he was looking at the woman, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. Now that was just a basic custom of the day. If you were going to invite people over to your house to relax and enjoy an evening meal, it was just expected in that day where people didn't wear socks and didn't have leather-covered shoes, they just wore sandals or they went barefoot. Pavement was scarce. There was no such thing as asphalt or cement. It was dusty or it would be muddy if it got wet. It was just customary. If you invited people to your house, the first thing you would do as common courtesy is that you'd take care of their feet. You'd give them a basin of water to wash their feet in and a towel to dry their feet off. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, no kiss of welcome, no kiss of greeting, no kiss of hospitality. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, a customary tradition, an expression of gladness, oil of gladness, the scripture would say. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, Simon, loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now back up with me to the front end of this story. And the whole point of this is where Jesus makes the statement, she has been forgiven much because she has loved much. He who is forgiven little loves little. Something had to have happened to this woman 
before she shows up uninvited, and I guarantee you unwanted because of her reputation, in this squeaky clean, get it right, every I dotted, every T crossed, every square is perfect, every corner is perfect, perfectly square. This, this Bible quoting, religious, praise singing, Sabbath attending, letter of the law keeping, Pharisee, who by reputation would pride themselves, the Pharisees as a group, would pride themselves because of their their feeling that they were doing everything right, they then had the right to judge how wrong everybody else was doing their lives. And they would, they would criticize, but beyond that, they would even condemn. And they were planning on condemning this woman. And was it the same woman? I don't know. Don't know. The John chapter 8 woman, is that the same woman as this woman just a few days or months later? Where she had never been protected, she had never been treated with a sense of dignity and worth, even though she had had a reputation for being what she was. She had never been treated like she was treated by this Jesus, who, who, who got down in the dirt, so to speak, with her and took her side against the religious police. And they're quoting scriptures saying, we have a right to stone her, to kill her. And when Jesus said, did no one condemn you, he meant, did no one pass sentence on you? That's what to condemn is. To, to judge is one thing. To accuse, to judge, condemn, that's a progression. And they were coming to condemn her by passing the sentence of death, to, to stone her. The only thing, and it's significant, that they left out, and Jesus knew they left it out. The same verse that says you have stone a woman who's caught in adultery, you're supposed to stone the man too. Where was he? Where was he? Jesus knew it. They were manipulating the Bible, manipulating Scripture for their own purposes. And he saw through it all. And he knew who they were. They thought they knew who she was, but Jesus knew who they were. And so he says to them, whoever among you is without sin, you chunk the first rock. And he just looked at them and conviction fell on them and they knew that they were guilty. Maybe not of that same specific particular sin with that particular woman, but they knew that they couldn't identify themselves as perfectly righteous in all categories. And so starting with the older ones, the ones with, with more of a grasp of a lifetime of wisdom, beginning with the older ones, they dropped their rocks and they walked out. And the scripture says that Jesus was then left alone with the woman in the middle of the crowd. She had been caught she had been pulled out, she had been exposed, and she was being thrown down in the dirt just like some useless human digit. That's all she was. She was just something to be used to prove a point as far as the Pharisees were concerned. But as far as Jesus was concerned, she was a person created in the image of God. And she had messed up, and he knew she had messed up, and that was clear to the ones who were there. But now what? Now what if you've messed up? Now what? Where's the hope? You know, 
So he comes to her side and looks her in the eye and said, did no one pass sentence on you? Did no one condemn you? Where are they? And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and, and basically cut it out. Stop it. Sin will take you where you never want to go. It'll keep you longer than you really want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you really want to pay. But even with that being true, there is a way through. There is a way out. There is hope, and it is found in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has the ability to forgive sins. Now, we can play the game all day long. I'm not guilty. It's no big deal. I'm not guilty. It's not wrong. All these other people are doing it. That, that is just fine as long as you can keep your wits about you. But the problem is when we put our heads on the pillow at night, and stuff starts coming back in on us and memories start coming and it really can be the, the love of the Lord that just begins to show us some things about us. Now what? Now I am guilty. I have been caught. If not by others, I'm caught, by, I'm apprehended by myself. Then what? Now what? Then Jesus. Then Jesus. Jesus came to express the heart of the Father. John chapter 118, to explain the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is this. He knows that he doesn't have anybody to work with in the human race who has done it all right, who has never messed up. He also knows that the only hope for there to be a relationship between heaven and earth, between his heart and us, is for there to be a way for our sins to be forgiven. It, it doesn't mean that they never happened. They happened. But it means that they don't have to rob us of the closeness with our Heavenly Father and the freedom from the penalty of those things. The wages of sin is death. Scripture will just say, something is going to die when sin operates. The wages, the payback for sin is death. Something is going to die. Something is going to die. A relationship is going to die. Innocence may die. Opportunities may die. Eternally, it's, it's this separation from God. That, that's what hell would be. It's just being separated from God. The Father doesn't want that. And he knows that he doesn't have anybody alive on the face of the earth other than Jesus who lived all those years ago who never committed a sin. Every one of us are sinners. And every one of us are going to need to have our sins forgiven. Every one of us are going to need to have the penalty removed from us because of the choices that we make. That's this whole message. And Jesus, down in the dirt with that woman on that day, she's caught, she's humiliated. There's no way she can deny the mess that she's in. And Jesus presents him, or is found right in the middle of her mess with her saying, neither do I condemn you. All right. Let's just say that it was that woman in John chapter 8. It may not have been, but for this woman in Luke chapter 7, to, to do what she did, she had to have some kind of history with Jesus. For, for her to show up uninvited, unannounced, and carrying with her 
probably the most valuable, most expensive thing she had in life. Alabaster was a, was a, was a stone that would, that would have been chiseled out and prepared for the purpose, because it's, it's dense, for the purpose of, of containing costly liquids and perfume being one of the most costly in that day. It, it, some scholars say that it would, it would have been filled with a perfume and then it would have been sealed and it would have, it would have only been opened one time. Some will say that would have been the fragrance. She was a prostitute. It would have been the fragrance that she would have set up in her window to attract men. Others would say that it was something that could have even been prepared for her by her earthly father as a dowry for a marriage that would come one day. We don't know which of those it was. It may have been neither of those two. But we do know that it was valuable. It, it, was, it was cherished. It was something that symbolized basically all the woman had in this life that meant something to her. And so here she comes, uninvited, unannounced, into this Pharisee's house. She knew what she was probably walking into, but it was as if she didn't care. There was this passionate driving to get back into, and I use that phrase, back into the presence of Jesus because her heart was overflowing with a gratitude that she couldn't contain. She had to express her gratitude to this one who had loved her as no one had loved her. But the heart of the deal was, the heart of it was, some way or another, even though her sins would cause there to be a moral kind of stench and dirt and filth, some way or another, when she got close to Jesus, that wasn't what was the main emotion. The main emotion was not being dirty and filthy and no good and of no use and used up. But it was somehow the closer she got to him, based on some kind of previous encounter, it had to be with him. The result of that was she felt fresh. She felt clean. She felt new. She felt forgiven. She knew she couldn't go back and rewrite everything that she had done and change all of the factual entries in, 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 in her diary or in her calendar or personal calendar. She couldn't change that. But what had happened to her is that some way, somehow, on the inside of who she really was, she knew that there was hope for a fresh start in Jesus, in Jesus, that it's it's, I don't have to stay the way I have been. I'm not trapped in the prison of my yesterdays. I, I'm, I'm not shackled by the bad performance and the bad choices and the wrong of yesterday when it comes to Jesus. Somehow, some way, there's hope for a new day. There's hope for a fresh beginning. There's hope for a brighter tomorrow in Jesus Christ. All right. We don't know if that's the same woman, but some way or another, this woman had a history with Jesus, somehow a relationship that caused her to be drawn to him. And I want you to notice a few things about her, a humility about her. Now, now, this is going to be true 
of somebody whose heart has been warmed by the love of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about, we got this other guy named Simon who's the Pharisee, who's the religiously elite. And he's, he's got all his rules down and he's got all the, you know, all the payback verses down in the Bible and all the, all the this is what you do to get this. He knows all that stuff. He's, he's very religious, but he just doesn't have a heart for people at all. He's curious about this Jesus, this teacher, Jesus of Nazareth. So at least to his credit, he invites Jesus to his house and maybe to try to get to know him better, try to understand him a little better. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the Pharisees been able to quote scripture, you know, going and coming. They're just as lost as the woman who was lost over here on the other end of the spectrum. So he was in the house of the Pharisee. And while he was in the house of the Pharisee, this woman shows up with this heart for Jesus, for the person of Jesus. She's marked by humility. She, she had to set aside some serious levels of pride. If it even came up, even if it was even an issue within her, she had settled it somewhere along the line that I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what they say about me. This one called Jesus cared for me and loved me and, and, and treated me with a dignity that I've never been treated in, a humble, in humbling myself to go into his presence. I'll do whatever I have to do. Knowing that she would be looked at, knowing that she would be criticized, she humbles herself and she shows up. There's something else about her. She's bold. You, you, you know, when, when, you, when you're humble, humble, that, that doesn't mean that you don't have any character strength. You may have been humbled, brought low. But when there is a work of humility going on in our hearts, that means we're coming in under some authority, coming in under, under the control, the direction of some other authority. In that place, there can be an incredible sense of boldness. Because you know who you're representing. You know who you want to please. And I'm telling you, this, this, this is bold as horseradish right here now. She, she, she walks in there uninvited, unannounced, unwanted, and comes up and stands right behind Jesus, his feet and living, coming out this way. Here's the table. She comes right up behind, and she's standing right there, and she just breaks down crying. And the tears from her eyes were falling on his feet. That meant there had to be a bunch of them for his feet to get wet. And this wasn't just one little, she's got 30 seconds to do this. We don't know how many minutes this went on. And they might have been trying to serve the meal and try to have other conversations. Here's this woman just crying her eyes out right here. They don't know who she is except they know what kind of woman she probably was. Maybe the way she dressed, maybe previous reputation, some other, but they, they thought they knew her. There she is crying her eyes out and evidently gets down on her hands and knees and she begins to wash Jesus' feet with the, with the liquid from the tears of her eyes. And she takes her long hair and she wipes his feet. And then she cracks that bottle, takes somehow opens that bottle of, 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 of costly perfume and begins to anoint his feet. 
Now, now that was a scene. That was a day. That wasn't expected. But she was so passionately drawn to the person of Jesus. She didn't care what the waitstaff thought. She didn't care what the Pharisee and his mother and his dog and his cat and his parakeet. She didn't care. But what she did care about was that that which was in her heart of loyalty to and a passion for the person of Jesus Christ had to come forth and to hell with the rest of the world in a sense. She just, it was all about Jesus, all about her. Well, so so she's, she's, she's humble. There's a boldness about her. There's this extravagance, this specific extravagance. It was something she felt like she needed to do for Jesus, who had rescued her, who had given her hope. I, I see Sammy in text sitting out here back back in another life when Sammy Sammy and both of our hair was was dark and we were much younger back in the in the 70s I think it was the Lord rescued Sammy got him saved him and text and put them together years ago and he was LSU and and the Lord touched his life I, I just I, I thought of Sammy I thought of this woman he, he would he would tell his story that that there were there were things the Lord had to rescue him out of but you know what he felt like he was supposed to do this is this is crazy as a loon he felt like he was supposed to get a wheelbarrow full of Bibles and push that Bible car, that, that wheelbarrow full of Bibles through the streets. I don't know where he went. Did you start from Baton Rouge and head north or was that Chicago? I'm not even sure where you were. All right. So, so, so there, you know, can you imagine, you were walking, riding, driving, driving down 35 and you see this, this somebody on the feeder street got a wheelbarrow and, and, and you can just, it's got Bibles and he's stopping and handing those things out. But you had, you asked Sammy, well, what were you doing that for? Don't you know people would think you were crazy? It wouldn't, it doesn't even register. It was because he felt like that that's what the Lord was wanting him to do. That would be a way of saying back to the Lord, Lord, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for using the word in my life to rescue my life. I want to go and do the same. Well, all right, so there is an extravagant, there is an extravagant gratitude that flows out of a heart that has been warmed by the love of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, and it's, it, it's, it's just not a lot of religion to it. It doesn't matter whether, you know, it's a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic, a Pentecostal, or whatever. It's Jesus. It's the loyalty to the person of Jesus. A Baptist church can't forgive you a nothing, you know. I mean, a Catholic church doesn't have the power to alleviate sins. It doesn't. Where does that come from? From Jesus Christ and his shed blood alone and his love for you and for me. Now, we may end up in a Catholic church. We may end up in a Baptist church. We may end up in a Pentecostal church. But that is not where the conveyance of a second chance with my life, a start over again with real hope is going to come from. It's not about the structure of religion. And she got this right. Excuse me for getting a little fired up about it. But uh, no, I'm not going to ask to be excused for that. That's just the way it is, the truth. That it is the truth that, that she, that the loyalty to Jesus, the loyalty to Jesus, the loyalty to Jesus, extravagant, extravagant gratitude. 
Now, I say that about her because I just believe there's a lot of truth in that with folks that we will know and be around. And many of us could give, give some kind of story about that in our own lives, that it's Jesus. And the hope that I felt when it dawned on me that he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, not just for the world in general, not just for sinners in general, but he went to that cross with David Walker on his heart and in his mind. That he, he died in my place. He died in your place, literally, actually, for sins that had not been committed by me yet, but he knew they were coming. He knew I'd mess up. He saw you coming and he knew you would need a savior. You would need someone to forgive you. So the price was paid on the cross. Somewhere or another, that settled into this woman and she just couldn't stand it anymore. It was a passion of gratitude that rose up in her heart. Well, then, you know, whose house are they in? And this guy named Simon, Pharisee, squeaky clean guy, you know, doing everything right. He just didn't have a heart for people. Had a lot of scripture, knew a lot of songs, knew the traditions of Judaism, just no heart for people. Keeping the letter of the law, doing it right, was infinitely more important to him than tending to broken hearts and broken lives around him. God in a human body is sitting at his dining room table. God with lips, God with eyes, God with feet, God with hands. Jesus Christ is sitting at his dining room table, and he doesn't realize it. He's got God so figured out he knows what to expect out of God. He knows how God's going to react. He knows how God thinks. So he doesn't really need to look any farther than what he already knows. And so he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus, knowing what he was thinking, but not only knowing what Simon was thinking, he knew more about this woman and her past and what her choices had been and how long she had been in it and who she had been involved with. She, he knew so much more about this woman than Simon thought he knew about her. And so he just begins to tell the story about this moneylender. Now, i got to tell you, here's another place that is just so encouraging. The Lord understands money, and he understands the pressure money can be, and he understands this thing about money lending. Jesus made this story up. He understands people. He understands you. He knows how to thrill you. He knows how to get through to you. He knows how to rescue you. He knows how to bless you. Our, our problem is we're just getting away with him, keeping him from doing that. But he knows, he knows, he wired you, he created you, fashioned you in your mother's womb. He knows how to bless you. He knows how to thrill you. 
He knows what it will take to to lastingly rescue us from ourselves, which is probably our biggest problem, ourselves. So he tells that story about the two two that that owed the man money and who's going to love him more. And Simon said, the one that owes the most. And then Jesus goes through this list of things. Now, Sammy, I don't know that you ever heard the Lord say, thank you for passing that Bible out at that 7-Eleven. Thank you for putting that Bible in the hand of that store clerk. Thank you for putting that Bible in the hand of that one that came to the door in the neighborhood. Don't know that we've necessarily heard in this life the gratitude from the Lord's heart for the things that we did and, and maybe, maybe in our youthfulness, maybe in, our, in, in, the, in, the, in the strength of our passion, we were just going wide open in the direction of wanting to please him and love him. And some of it could be, we look back on it, what, what was I thinking about? What was that all about? In the moment, at the point in time where it was being done to the Father, done to the Lord, it was received by the Lord. It, it, he, he accepted it. Jesus, what you don't have any problem with Jesus pulling his feet back away from that woman. That she's nasty, she's dirty, she's got a bad reputation. I don't want her touching me. You, you don't see any picture where Jesus curled himself up in a fetal position to get away from this woman. It was over a period of time in that setting, around that dinner table, where he let the woman do what the woman from her heart needed to do. He wasn't offended by her. He wasn't wasn't wanting to distance himself from her. He let her do what was in her heart to do. And in that sense, Jesus was categorically approving of what she was choosing to do. He noticed it. He noticed every tear that fell on his feet. He noticed every stroke of every grain of hair that wiped across his foot. He appreciated the fragrance of the perfume that filled his nostrils. He appreciated it. He noticed it. Nobody else appreciated it like he did. Why? Because it was done for him. It was done to him by one whose heart had been loved, had been touched by him. And then he says, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, We think of this thing of, of, of being forgiven, that God, God forgives, or that we're, we're walking in freedom from our sins, as if somehow, somehow God has to go brain dead about our past, and we have to go maybe brain dead about our past. Oh, what was that bad? Didn't mean to do it that much. We go through all this thing. Here's the point of forgiveness. When you've been forgiven, that means you've been set free from it. It doesn't mean that you have to convince yourself it wasn't that bad, it didn't last that long, it didn't hurt that many people, it really wasn't that wrong. The good news is God sees and knows the depth and the dimension and the duration and the degree of everything that we have ever done. 
we can own up to the truth about our lives, the truth that would be sin as, God's concern, as far as God is concerned, that which produces death in us. We can own it because God owns it. It's not like he just hits a delete button and there are certain things he no longer thinks about. That only occurs when we realize that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross in our place for just our little white sins, our little, our little small blemishes. We call them white sins or blemishes. Whatever you want to it's still sin. It's still wrong. He, he took our place for the sins that we have committed, the choices that we have made throughout all of our lives. Every single one of them. None was missed. None was missed. And when he did that for us, we realize that he did that for us. We realize that when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, he stated that, we made that poem, tetelestai, it is finished. The debt is paid. Freedom can now legally be conferred to the one who had been guilty, but now is free because the debt has been paid. Boy, I tell you, when that drops 18 inches, when that drops 18 inches and you've been living trying to outrun your past or you've been trying to convince yourself of certain lies that, well, that doesn't mean, I didn't mean it, didn't hurt that many people, all that kind of baloney, you, when you, 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 don't, you don't have to do that anymore. God saw it all. God knew it all. Jesus died for it all. I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did in my place on the cross, and I received the freedom from my sins that his, his death on the cross had come. Freedom. 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 So you walk around, and somebody can remind you of the jerk you used to be, you know, of the knucklehead, of the things, the wrong choice, and you know what you can say? Man, you are right. You are right. You are right. In fact, you only know part of it. I know the rest of it. And you're right. But you know what I am? Read my lips, Bubba. Here, here, here is what I am. I am a sinner saved by grace. By grace. I didn't earn it. I didn't have to fight for it. I just received what Jesus did in my... And I, man, I'm telling you, freedom... Freedom comes, freedom comes, freedom to the heart. You're not having to dodge bullets from the past. You're not having to use, the future is bright because you've been forgiven and you're being called toward a future with the Lord and walking with the Lord in his presence and his joy. All right, the, the, but then the, the main point, I'm finished with this, is for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, he knew them all, just like he knows yours and he knows mine. Our sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. For she loved much. Oh, now what's that saying? I thought it was by faith that we are saved. Grace through faith that we're saved. But then Jesus is saying she's been forgiven on the basis of her love. On the basis of her love. Well, what was the love? What, how, what were the dimensions of that love? She came in there. She took the step, came to him, and then she, she poured her heart out, and, and she, she was wiping his feet, and she was anointing him, and, and all. she was loving him. 
Where did the love come from? The love came from the place of realizing that he is, that he's real, that he cares about me. We love because he first loved us. She couldn't have loved him back if she hadn't known that he loved her first. And the expressions of her love, Jesus took to mean were expressions of her faith. It wasn't perfect. It didn't have all of the details, all of the blanks filled in, but Jesus saw it as so he will say, it's your faith that saved you. Your trust in me that has rescued you. It came out in the physical acts that she was expressing, but that was driven by something that was working here. Love. She was loving, but she had to have been loved before she could love. And at the point that she was loved, that convinced her that he is, that he's worth believing in, that he's worth trusting. If she didn't believe that he is, she wouldn't have tracked him down to Simon's house. But she believed him. She believed he was there. She went and she expressed. And those were expressions of faith. I'll tell you, one of the most interesting studies you will ever do in the New Testament is to find those lines where Jesus will say, your faith has saved you. Because of your faith, you were made whole. And examine the settings in which those statements were made. What was their faith? What did they do? The woman with the issue of blood in the crowd, all she did was get as close to him as she could and touch his garment, touch his coat. Jesus said, she, as she was healed, then you remember the story, they find her. And she's embarrassed and scared, but told why she did it. And Jesus said, it was your faith that rescued you. Folks, listen, you don't have to know everything there is to know about the book of Romans. You don't have to be able to quote all the books of the Bible. You may have never darkened the door of a church until last Sunday or this morning. But if there's something in your heart that just says, Lord, the best I can. Jesus, the best I can. Help me. I'm asking you to help me. Lord, the best I can. I trust you. Help me. Help me. He knows better than we will ever know how helpless we are unless he helps us. And this woman, morally despicable, in the eyes of many, <laughs> but to Jesus, she was a woman of worth, she was a woman now who can have a future and a hope. And he blesses her. He congratulates her on what she just had to do out of her heart toward him. Folks would say she's crazy. Jesus didn't think she was crazy. You know, this, the old Simon here, 
Simon, Simon the Pharisee, Simon the captain of the religious police, maybe. How would we know what Simon the Pharisee said to himself? How would we know that? Unless Simon the Pharisee was eventually brought to faith in Jesus the Christ. You, you see, what, what he needed to see was the love of God for people. He thought it was all about knowing the Scripture and keeping the rules, and God comes and sits at his dining room table and, and takes over the conversation and says, it's not about square edges and dotting I's and T's. That's important, but that pales in comparison to broken hearts and broken lives that need the expression of the love of God and the hope of God and the future of God. Use your scripture knowledge as a background. Don't make it the whole destination of your life. You use it as a backdrop. From this place, knowing what I know about God, more than ever I understand that he cares about people. When the goodness of God our Savior and his kindness toward mankind appeared. Titus 3:5. He rescued us not on the basis of our works in righteousness, but he rescued on the basis of his mercy. His mercy. His mercy. His mercy. Don't, don't you please don't let the church or what you know of the church keep you from Jesus. Because the church can do that. The church can become something that supposedly in the name of Jesus is supposedly representing Jesus. But then when you examine the life of Jesus in the light of what we sometimes feel in churches, we realize, wait a minute, I've got to choose one or the other because they're not they don't fit. You take these pages of Scripture, and you take the life of the Savior, and you cling to that and hold to that and trust in that over any other system of men on the face of this earth, and you'll end up in the right place. You'll end up at the place of rejoicing in the love of God for you. Now, he puts us back into church settings. I'm not saying we're all in a church setting right here. But Alamo City could blow up and go away tomorrow, and nothing will have changed in your relationship with the one person who is the most important, and that is Jesus the Christ. You don't have to have this building. You don't have to have this microphone. You don't have to have anything but... The knowledge that the lover of your soul is still on the throne. He hadn't gone to sleep. He hadn't forgotten about you. But he cares and he's willing and he's present and he's able. I don't know how long it took for Simon to figure this out. But I believe that woman, the woman of the streets, stepped into a relationship with Jesus that would mark her life 
for good and for greatness all the rest of the days of her life. Not having to be a prisoner to what she used to be, but never completely forgetting what it was that he rescued me out of because that kept me in a place of humility before him and loyalty to him that I don't want to lose. So, so how does it work for folks who've grown up in a Christian home? That's me. I'm one of those who, who preachers and pastors and churches and starting to memorize scripture by the time I could talk, you know, hum through the songs that I didn't know the words to, but I recognized the tunes by the time I was three, something like that. How, how, does, how does a life like that find its place with hope in the statement, he who has been forgiven little, loves little. I mean, I can't say I had a drug habit. I was, I was, I was running, you know, I was running a small cartel at the age of six, and then I met Jesus, and it all has been different. I don't have that testimony. But here's where it's worked for me. I'd come to find myself in a place of just really not having a heart for people. Come to the conclusion that if folks are sinners, they've chosen that lifestyle, they just deserve what they get. I mean, I've tried to make some choices to keep me out of this and keep me on the straight and narrow, and I paid a price there. And, but these folks that didn't pay that kind of price, and they They've made those choices and tough luck only to just be smitten by the Spirit of God to my heart that a cold heart toward people, a heart that doesn't have time for broken people is a heart that is as out of touch with the true heart of God as the heart of someone who lives on the other end of the moral spectrum, just assuming I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to be, I'm going to live like I want to live to heck with everything. The absence of the heart of God for people It's a great loss and a great absence. And I'm going to tell you, we, we, can, we can tweak our Scripture study. We can, we can come up with our positioning of passages. So we just come to the conclusion that, well, that group of people, they're just beyond the mercy of God. Or that group of people, we don't have to pay any attention to. That group of folks, who cares? You can, you can whittle and tweak the Scripture to make it say just about, any, just about anything you want it to say to justify an attitude that is not the attitude of God. So for me, it was the Lord having to just break me wide open. But you don't have anywhere near the same kind of heart for people that 
brought me out of heaven to this earth. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you don't, you don't even care who's lost. Just as long as you're keeping your cadence and dotting your I's and crossing your T's and keeping your corner square. It took me running into a drug addict, drug dealing, Northwest Houston hippie freako in the 70s to just open my eyes to how blind I had been to the love of God for people told you his story and I'll just reference him. He's in heaven now and Ross, I hope you're hearing this, brother. He was just a, he was just a mess, but he was good at what he did. He was a good drug dealer and dope runner and all that's in our part of Houston. And one day that crazy guy shows up in the choir loft at my daddy's church Garden Oaks Baptist Church on Shepherd Drive, just outside 610, Ross Hargrove. Drug dealingist person in, our, in the choir law. Had the hymnal in front of him. And I could not, what is, what is he doing here? And the long story was short. The Lord touched him. The Lord made himself known to him at a surf contest on Padre Island, Easter weekend of that year. Standing in his shower, just cried out, Lord God, if you're Jesus, I think he said, Jesus, if you're really real, help me. If you're really real. Jesus, if you're really real. He wasn't even sure. And he said that, Later, he felt like the Lord spoke to him. He heard, I said, was it audible? I, boy, we became good friends. I wanted to get as close to that man as I could get to him. But why? Because there was just something of freedom about him. There was something of joy about him. There was a boldness and a loyalty to Jesus. He dragged me down. We made a commitment to each other that we were going to share Jesus with one person before we went to bed every day. call each other about 10.30 at night and I'd have to say, Ross, I hadn't, I hadn't talked to anybody yet. Have you? And he said, no, I hadn't either. I'll pick you up in 10 minutes. So he'd come and pick me up in his, his little old sports car and we would start driving Ella Boulevard and we'd move over to T.C. Jester Boulevard and we'd go to 34th Street and we'd find somebody. I've walked with him. I've watched him walk. He's a little guy. I walked with him right up into a drug deal going down. I was scared, spitless. I knew what was happening. I didn't know what. He walked right up into the middle of that, and everybody was bigger than he was. And he'd just look, he'd say, look, look, I'm like standing right in the middle. And he'd say, guys, I used to look just like you, and I used to do just what you're doing, but then I got to tell you, Jesus Christ came into my life. And he changed me. Now, there wasn't a church service. There wasn't Billy Graham and, and Bev Shea in the background singing Just As I Am. It was, it was raw street Houston 
late 60s, early 70s. And I mean, time after time, not every time, but there'd be somebody that we'd be talking to, the Ross would be talking to, and I'm praying, oh, Jesus, help us. Get us out of here. Yeah, finally, my faith warmed. Okay, we got big angels here. Now, I'm going to trust, but I'm praying, God, just get me home. I got, you know, but he's just, he's just going, and, and there'd be a tear in the eye of one of those guys. Ross said, get him down. on. said, well, you just, well, just kneel down right here with me. Cars going by, street lights, and we'd pray with these guys. Some of them wouldn't know how to spell church. But God was meeting people. That's a place of broken lives and broken hope and changing folks. You, you look at me sometimes and you say, why are you so crazy, preacher? Why, why do you talk like Well, I've seen stuff. I've seen stuff. And though I didn't live the life that Ross lived, I didn't live... I was on the squeaky clean end of the deal. I had to sneak off to go sin somewhere. <laughs> but when it all settled in, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's hope for the hopeless. There's nothing too hard for God. There's nobody too far off without him. That's why a bunch of you are here today. Is because that's how it happened to you. Lord, I just, I don't know where this needs to go. I don't know who needs to have this 18-inch drop this morning with these things that are being spoken and read from your word. But Lord, will you just please take your truth and your heart and cause it to find a home in our hearts, Lord. I thank you for everyone who is here. I thank you for the backgrounds that we all come from, that your grace works, your plan works in and through all of the backgrounds that we have had. You, you cause everything to work together for good, you say. And I thank you for this story about this unnamed woman who showed up with her heart brimming with passion to just love you back, Jesus, for what you had done for her. Fill us, Lord, with that same kind of spirit in these days that we're living. In Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, amen, amen and amen.